0: Hi, Lee sales has just challenged me to start this podcast because last one I was uh, I was just giving you a terrible amount of cheek about your your radio voice <laughs> when you start this podca- podcast. You always say hello. I don't know what you're talking <laughs> yeah, about, Annabelle Crabbe. Uh And the awkward thing is, um, I've got nothing to talk about. about. I, yeah, awesome. Uh, well, allow me to I- jump
1: in. <laughs> No, you, I know that you saw Train Spotting too.
0: I did. I saw it at home when we were sitting around, and Jeremy said, um, "Let's watch Train Spotting too." And I said, "Oh, I don't think so." And Have then you we seen had a conversation. Yeah, I've never seen it. Yeah, no, I like Train Spotting, but um, it's just my thing with movies at the moment. I'm in a real movie slump. Uh, no. I don't want to watch a movie.
1: Uh, Interesting. I'm am... in a bit of a movie slump too, and a book slump. Yep. Anyway, carry on. Just, uh, I'm literally slumping. We'll come, back to <laughs> we'll come back to slumps um, in a minute.
0: I'm much more – currently I'm much more interested in uh, continuing a, a television series that I'm watching because, do you know why? I don't have two hours Same. to waste on something that could turn out to be shite. I Same. almost certainly won't see it in the cinema because all I see in the cinema is children's movies, which I often enjoy. But I just think – if I'm gonna watch a drama, I'm wanting I'm gonna want it to be such a good drama that it's probably unlikely that it will ever happen because so many films that I see just turn out to be a bit disappointing. I Creates sometimes start here. I sometimes will start watching a film on a plane and I'm you know, the plane lands and it's two thirds of the way through and I think No, I don't care to resume watching that, which is depressing because I think the younger me would never have
1: been like that. I used to love going to films. I mean, look, I think part of it for me is I don't get that many nights out and so if I do, I'd rather catch up with friends and talk and have dinner than go to a film. Um, And as with you, I've just had a few too many – and actually I feel this way a bit about theatre at the moment too. I've just had a few too many disappointing experiences in a row that have put Mm. me off and so, um, yeah, that's a problem with films. And also because I'm so tired, you know – Twenty-two minutes or forty-seven minutes is about right for me. Yeah, um, and so also yeah. if
0: you if you've if you've established a relationship with a series that you're watching, you absolutely know that this will be a good hour or forty-five mm. minutes, and it won't be a waste of your time. Completely, and then you won't fall asleep in front of it. Mm. Um, and then you can switch it off and go to bed, and you'll think right. There we go.
1: That's Completely me. agree. TV, it's the new films. People yeah. said that when The Sopranos started. They said yeah. this is going to be the – this is the new film, yeah. TV, you know. Well, um I don't know. I think it's coming to pass. Train spotting 2 mm. was shite, by the way. Was it? Yep. Did it have any of the original people in it? Yeah, all of them.
0: Oh. It just was okay. – uh, There's Ooh. a point when Ewan McGregor kind of leans over the table and delivers – an updated version of the whole "choose life, choose whatever," mm, yeah. and I'm just looking at it and thinking, "Please stop! This mm. is so awkward." It's like just,
1: you know. <laughs> well, speaking of awkward, so I've been watching uh, "Designated Survivor," which is a show yep. starring Kiefer Sutherland. It's mm-hmm. on Netflix. Uh, it's sort of if you liked "Scandal" or "The Good Wife" or that level of TV. It's a bit is like "24," like. exactly. Like, right. So it's basically uh, it's a state of the union. Kiefer Sutherland has been set aside because there's someone who's part of the cabinet, doesn't go to the State of the Union. They are the designated survivor if something's to go right. catastrophically wrong. Terrorists blow up the entire capital. The right. whole cabinet, the president's killed. Keith the Sutherland's thrown in to become the president and then the FBI's got to track down the terrorists who blow up the capital, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, the thing that made me think of it then was when you're talking about the bad writing in Trainspotting. <laughs> there was a the scene. Yeah. I mean, it is full of bad writing, this show, but I love it. It's just, it's like a packet of burgerings. It's just, there's no nutrition in it, but it's just bloody good while it's going mm. on. It's um, another sponsor. chat dead brought to
0: you by baggerings you don't know what's in them and probably best (laughs) that you keep it that way
1: Um, Kiefer Sutherland's at this cabinet meeting where they're discussing the new Supreme Court that they have to appoint and everyone starts squabbling among themselves and he's like everyone listen listen stop speaking and no, everyone's ignoring him and then he smashes his hands on the desk and goes be quiet and then and he goes sorry about losing my temper there but I lost my temper that's what he actually says
0: well, that's the that's the line that's been written for him Sorry to say. Sorry about
1: losing my temper there, but I lost my temper. Not trying very oh, hard. Just, oh, I can't even believe that Keith is old enough to with that it.
0: kind of crap. Right? I just think no.
1: Look, I, it, it's bad, but I do. I just love. You're stuff. a total trash pig, though. Like, oh, but I mean, stuff set White House, Washington, FBI, secret. You know covert units that nobody's ever heard of, yeah. deep within the CIA. I just, I love all of that <laughs> stuff. I just lick it up. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm really liking it. Um, it's it's trash. It's trash, but I'm figure. loving it. Yeah, trash, but I'm loving it. Right. Okay. Um, Can we go back to slumps? So uh, you're in a movie, yep. movie Slumps. Yeah, sure. When was the last movie you saw that you liked? Weena. Oh yeah, I Wiener. loved That Wiener. was awesome.
0: But I, you know, I like I like a doco. Yeah, I like a this doco is, too. This is mainly my kind of um, – I like that doco on the go-betweens that I saw. So, oh, yeah, you said that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, liked, I sort of rate docos differently from um, from
1: feature films. I liked the Star Wars reboot, whatever yeah, that was called. Yeah, I like that too. Yeah, actually. I left and yeah. I thought, yeah, that was 20 bucks well spent. Yeah. I got 20 bucks worth of entertainment, absolutely, 100%. Yeah. I'm I also a... like Moana. <laughs> Did you? I've never seen Moana. Yeah. Okay. Good to know. I'll we'll get the boys on Twitter. I mean
0: there's just some you know, there's
1: some terrible kids'
0: films around and oh, certainly yes, terrible sure. bloody Disney princesses and, and some great ones. Oh, too. incidentally, quick tip just while we're talking about Disney princesses, um, because I was just thinking the other day Um, how great this book is that my daughter spotted at school Um, and I've now bought a copy. It's called Good Night Stories for a Rebel Girl. Oh, yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the person who wrote it, but it's like 101 stories um, about famous women or not so famous women. Mm -hmm. So, like, you've got your, you know, you've got your sort of Marie Curie's, you've got your Helen Keller's or whatever, Mm -hmm. but there's just, like, also these, like, they're kind of like two-page little stories of their lives mm-hmm. with beautiful little illustrations sort of portraity things mm-hmm. and but there's also like you know this incredible you know deaf American dirt bike rider or you know like so th- these quite amazing women from history and contemporary the contemporary world It's and by Elena Favilli and Francesca Cavallo and it's just like you could read out one a night and they're just very inspirational really well written mm. cool not sort of Lectury. What but age just, group do you reckon for? Well, my daughter's 10 and she was just all over it, but I did a tweet about it a little while ago and like all these people came back and said, Oh, that's amazing. I'm reading it out loud to my six year old, or oh, I'm, great. you know, so it's quite, you know, um, yeah, it's it's really, really good because sometimes in that age group, you're kind of like sort of scrumping around for things that are good mm. and
1: it's just. Awesome. It's a little mm. bit of an in-between age group, isn't it, for reading? Because you're not bit, yeah. quite ready to go to the sort of, you know, adults or even the young adult fiction. Yeah, that's but why Flora's fancy, I think, is so it's, immortal. Just I such mean, a because. <laughs> There's just such a market there for that. <laughs> yeah. um, speaking of slumps, I am in a reading slump at the moment. I'm not yeah, reading a right. single book, not a single You've thing. You said this to me about 13 times, and I keep ignoring you because <laughs> it's clearly a cry for help.
0: <laughs> and I'm just not even. Look, All right. It's so fine. What... It's
1: fine. So this happens to me periodically, and I think I suspect it happens to other people too, which is you have plenty of stuff sitting around that you could read, mm. and you know that you'll like it when you read it. Yeah. But. You just sort of can't, like it just feels like, nah, I just can't be bothered to read that. I just can't mm. be bothered to pick up something new and get into it. And so then, you know, you might even pick up something that you know that you would really like and you read one chapter and you just go, yeah, just not interested. And so you just get into a slump. And so I this has happened to me before. Things I've done in the past to get out of it are go back and read an old favourite that yeah. you just know that you like. Yeah. And then yeah. it's sort of, it's like you're sort of, I don't know, You, I find if I'd stop reading, then it's like the reading muscle gets a bit lax right, or you something. need a bit of a push, like you've fallen off your bike or something. Yeah. Mm. And the other thing that I've found, last time I was in a reading slump was after the birth of one of my kids and just nothing, even old favourites I couldn't get into. All I could read were celebrity memoirs. Ellen DeGeneres' memoir. Rob Lowe's memoir. Wow. Like just real <clears> sort of low rent. The woman who was on Glee, Jane Lynch's memoir. You read her memoir? <laughs> God, now I'm worried. <laughs> That was a few years ago when I was cutting out those butterflies. Yeah. Um, yeah. God. So, yeah, and it, it's weird because it was like it's about the only thing that I felt like I could read. But it was fine because then it just sort of, I don't know, then you sort of somehow just get back in and then you you – get back on the horse or something. But, yeah, I'm in a bit of a one. And the, the stack of stuff on my bedside table, it's, you know, that shattered book about yeah. Hillary Clinton. I know I'd love it. Tony Jones has written a novel um, that I'm really keen Yeah, looking I've got that. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. He's very well read himself and I, I – Suspect it'll be really good. Um, I'm slightly nervous about are there going to be sex scenes in there? You don't oh, want to yeah. read sex scenes that your colleagues. Are in. Well,
0: I actually um, launched Chris Ullman and oh, yeah. Steve Lewis's <laughs> book in Canberra, and I just made basically just read out the sex scenes because <laughs> they wrote there are two in their first book, and they each wrote a sex scene. <laughs> and I'm like, one of you gentlemen uses the word panties when writing a, a sex scene, not cool. And I'm looking at them both. And, Who blushed? And we're like, Lewis has got this giant
1: smile on his face <laughs> and Newman's like, but, but, but. I'm like, ha-ha, <laughs> I think we've
0: just solved that little issue. I'm
1: very tiny, so we like, you know, she ran her fingers through his silvery hair. You're so handsome, she said. <laughs> I'll take that as a comment, he replied. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, the Q and A sex scene. No, I think I've, I've had a quick. I haven't started reading it. I've just had a quick sort of skim of the front page, first page yeah, and read cool. the back. Yeah. It looks really engaging and interesting. Well, maybe so you just need great.
0: a like a bodice ripping thriller. Like, I mean, when you get out of the book slump. Yeah, I don't
1: want to waste my. I don't want to waste reading Tony's book when I'm in a book slump. Yeah, right. Fair so, enough. So yeah.
0: So, but do you find that maybe a genre change is useful? Like, I mean, I quite like when I'm in a book slump, I like to just. I read. I like to go back to collections of essays and things like that, where I can kind of jump around a little bit. One of the mm. things, God, one of, weirdly enough, one of the books that, or two books actually, that I I love to read bits and pieces of, um, for kind of no discernible reason, is this guy Jeffrey Steingarten, who um, was the um, food reviewer. Um, food writer for i think american vogue Mm -hmm. um he published two collections of his um sort of essays long articles and one of them is called the man who ate everything Mm -hmm. and the other collection is called it must have been something i ate this guy is just like he's a food obsessive and he he just picks one one subject to talk about or to write about and he just throws himself straight into it so like one in in one of these essays, he decides that he's going to um, make the perfect chip, like French fries. Oh yeah! In his Manhattan apartment, a worthy goal. And he uh, like he 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 tours around eating at all these great restaurants, and he discovers that like the the favorite chip that he's ever eaten is in this particular restaurant in Paris, and he discovers that they cook the um the chips in horse fat. Mm. So the next like. Five pages of this account is concerned with his dealings with US customs in his attempt to import like <laughs> nine horse kilos fat. of horse fat into the United States. Like he's completely obsessive. His essay on pizza is all about how he can get his domestic oven to get up to the temperatures required to really, really blast a pizza. And he almost burns his flat down like but the writing is so funny it's just like a, such a pleasure to read i quite often give this book as a present though never to you because i know you'll throw <laughs> it away um i didn't realize an oven had to be extraordinarily high temperatures for a pizza well ideally you know like those wood oven pizzas yeah. the pizza's only in there for 30 seconds cause oh it's right so hot, so hot right. and so that's how you get this sort of bubbly, blackened crust right, and a topping that's just done and the
1: bottom is crisp. You I know? see.
0: Okay. Yeah. yeah, a high heat is really
1: quite Hey, now asset. you raising this reminds me of something that I have mm. yet to tell you, which is um, you mentioned ages ago on the podcast a show that you had binge-watched on Netflix called Chef's Table.
0: Yeah. Have you finally watched some? I finally have watched some. Oh, so my heart
1: leaps with joy. And, wh-
0: I- and how good is it?
1: Oh, <laughs> It was – I mean, look, I'm not going to lie. When you you raised Americans, it, you know. When you first raised it, I thought, oh, uh, sounds like it could be a bit of a food wank, yeah. was my thought. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what made, sort of tipped me over the edge into watching it. The
0: title is a bit A Chef's Table. Yeah, exactly. It's know. a little off-putting. Yeah.
1: Anyway, the first episode, which is – what's the guy's name? Massimo. Massimo Bottura. Oh, God. Just absolutely so – He was the world number one
0: chef last year and he's got this – little Italian restaurant
1: that is berserk. In mm. Modena, in Italy. Um, and the food looks delicious. But, I mean, the thing that's fantastic about how they've done it is every episode, is it's pretty much a biographical yeah. um, look at the chef and what motivates them in their cooking, how they came to cooking. Or in the case of um, Massimo, his relationship with his wife, mm. um, which is very key to his life and his business success, uh, success and so forth, Um it, the story of the restaurant is almost told through their meeting and yeah. their relationship. And so it's very compelling because you get hooked right in. Um, and then the food, then they explain, it's you know, they're... beautifully shot. I mean, it's oh, just, it's like a feast for the eyes. Absolutely stellar. And the interviews, you know, as someone who does a lot of interviewing, the level of trust that the subjects have in whoever's asking the questions you never see or hear the questions Um, it's a bit like australian story in that kind of format yeah no 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 narration except for the chef's own um narration um the vulnerability that people show and the stuff that they tell like the second episode which is a guy who owns a um, restaurant in new york i think is it called blue farm or something like that oh yes god that one's an amazing one. (sighs) Yeah. So this guy, he's he's the sort of the first and the best of the farm-to-table yep. proponents. And, I mean, I did want to eat at the restaurant, but I, you can't help when you watch these things. Like there's a dish where he just serves, it looks like raw vegetables. Yep. Um, and you just think, well... How delicious can it be? Like it's still a carrot. And yet the people that have given it, the Michelin stars are going, you eat it and you just go. Greatest carrot ever. It serves a potato. you like, you just want to weep. It's just so delicious. Um, But the guy, he was quite an extreme guy. And one of the first grabs, he says, is um, that being a chef is a form of abuse and the sort of people who are drawn to it are people who like self-abuse. It was quite full on. As he's running. And And it's cut with all of these
0: running. And he's this sort of wiry, sinewy kind of. And you can tell that he's just getting out this sort of aggression, like he's quite aggressive to like and he talks about how he has blow-ups in the restaurant. And,
1: and it, it comes out that um, his mother died when he was four. Mm. And I mean, every episode I've watched has made me emotional. Um, he said this thing it was just so moving where he talks about um, – you know, because this restaurant is very, very successful and he has one in upstate New York somewhere that's also very um, successful. And he's talking about, you know, losing his mother when he was so young and he says, you know, the thing with a restaurant is you just, you never know who's going to come through the door on any given night. And I just wonder sometimes, am I doing this and am I making the best restaurant possible? Because somewhere in my subconscious, I think my mother might walk in queue sales collapse <laughs> yeah so it was just ah, oh my god
0: and they're a, all they've all got stuff like that in them as an interviewer you would know how sorry cheesiest opening to a sentence ever as an interviewer lee i prefer as one of australia's as
1: finest like, interviewers lee.
0: as one of the most beautiful women on television <laughs> lee. you would understand um but like to get someone in a place where they will talk to you about that stuff oh. is so hard and, and look, it's a it's a really incredible it's a combination of features and one of them is i think that the that the the series is of such relentlessly high quality they only talk to really interesting people who are also amazing cooks so the mm. visuals are just it, they shoot food like it's it's so beautiful oh. and also they really the program really respects the person that they're profiling. Yeah. Like even the unflattering things that come out are contextualized in a way that takes you inside what it's like to be this person. Yeah, definitely. That like woman, so Remember when I um I interviewed some of these chefs, including Massimo Butura actually, mm. um for the um fifty best restaurants um uh, awards that were in Australia this year. Um the, the woman that I uh, that was on that panel, this woman called Dominique Crenn, she's a French chef and her um, restaurant is called Atelier Crenn. She has an incredible life story. She was um, adopted with her little brother um, when she was a kid and um, brought up by this lovely couple in, in France. But anyway, I digress. She was the one who... Um, uh, that guy that said... That guy stood up and said, oh, you know, what made you... Um, you know embrace this job and not um do the other job that women are so great at which is being a mother and because in this chef's table episode and she's the most extraordinary woman she's just piercingly beautiful and really commanding and in this um episode it's all about her and her work and there's no kind of you don't get a sense of her family and She just crushed this questioner at this event by saying, look, actually, you know, I have four-year-old twins. Um, It was just so full on. But... um I don't know where have I'm you, going with this. Have sort of you eaten it,
1: the Australian one in season one, which is the only one I've looked mm. at? Um, the, there is an Australian restaurant profiled, which is Attica. Yeah, in I, Melbourne. I have not been there, and I so yeah. Yeah, I've not been, been there either. Sure Look, I restaurant. loved that um, episode, and he just seemed like a beautiful guy, and I loved his thinking about food and his family. Just his parents and he's, he had this. He was brought up in New Zealand, just in what looked like the most extraordinarily idyllic. Um, upbringing and it was fascinating because they talked about when he took over where Attica was I mean just no one was going he was on the bones absolute bones of his ass um and then he just sort of had this idea about how he wanted to make food and, and whatnot but it was interesting because his food when it was they had the pictures of it it didn't look very delicious to me, right? And some of that high end dining, I, I feel like it's got to still. It sometimes they look a bit science experimenty. Yeah. I'm not going to lie, I googled uh, Google Image searched Attica, and there was a dish on there that I thought looked like something I'd sweep off my front porch. What you found that on Image Search? Google Image Search, yeah, just because people po- eat oh, at Attica and they oh, post sorry. food I thought, pictures, do you know. <laughs>
0: I'm such an idiot. But just hold I, me. I thought you were like you looked it up on Google Satellite. You know Google <laughs> Google and Earth. Zoomed in really I thought close. you did a Google Earth and you're like, hang on a second, what's that person? Eating? Zoomed in I'm really tight. I was like, like, what's that? Move your hand, mate. I want to see what that pile of rubbish you're eating is.
1: <laughs> oh no that doesn't look nice at all but he had, hang on but, is that the cat but no. this guy this guy ben Shuri, had so I much integ- so much integrity and was clearly so talented that I think well it must be delicious because he wouldn't be serving it up if it wasn't delicious really? well, you were
0: thinking frankly mate your food looks like shit and you are you're well a I disgrace. just I just
1: was looking at it thinking it doesn't <laughs> look no I really like him, but I just thought that does not make me want to eat it whereas um the Italian guy yeah no 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 <laughs> no everything on the table. <laughs> What
0: was that sound again?
1: <laughs> but anyway, it's a wonderful... I do want to eat at Attica, though, having seen wow, it. you are never eating at my house again. Well, I can probably like, never show my face at my Attica now, either. I know, you'll never get a booking. <laughs> it's quite hard to
0: get in there. Now, your food
1: always looks delicious. I always want to eat your food. It always looks beautiful. <laughs> yeah, take that, Ben Even when you use all those weird kohlrabi and crap like that. Or tuna.
0: Um, <laughs> Now, one quick segue that I want to just insert here, just because I'm reminded of it because... One of the things that I love about that um, series is the w- the way they shoot the food. I mean, it's just they. <sighs> you know how like in in films or whatever, sometimes the food is a just a bit of a like, oh yeah, and then they ate something. Yep. I like it where they really respect it. Um, and one of the things that I one of the things that I love about the trip, which is one of our favorite series, yes, and correct movies and um, the Steve Coogan, what's his face? What's the other guy's name? Rob bryden. Rob bryden is that. They also shoot the food beautifully, and it's it's yeah. a really big part that of, whole thing of is the appeal beautiful. of that film i 100 agree with that i yeah. absolutely
1: love the trip god it's so funny and the trip to italy the, oh, the trip it's it is so hilarious i've re- re-watched bits of it recently but um the trip to italy those jammy bastards like yeah, I know. oh this you've got no shame when we started it, when we
0: both started watching the trip i just got like absolutely shellacked for weeks with emails from sales just going we could do something like that. <laughs> yeah. Why don't we do something like yeah. that? Who can we find that would like def- that would make that you know? Could we make that our job? I'm yeah. Like, oh Anyone God. listening who wants to make that? Yeah. Ring us. Yeah. Straight away. At time she was actually making. He's you know, number. <laughs> a, an artwork of, of finches carved out of Taubman's paint samples. So you get a, a broad idea of what was going on with you at the time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: can you tell? But yeah. Us- what a jammy gig can you tell us a bit speaking of jammy gigs about mm. your own television show that's about to come out
0: <laughs> man it's so non-jammy it's just like no actually um we have been making it for ages that's why i'm a tiny bit jaded and a tiny bit crying under the table but, <laughs> oh god I, shouldn't have, I want you to promo it yeah i,
1: like, I
0: just it. i just don't even know whether it's worth finishing no <laughs> so <laughs> here's the thing so um Look, seriously, several years ago now, um, my little team from Kitchen Cabinet and I started negotiations with Parliament House about, do you, would you mind if we brought a dirty big film crew in there and, and made a documentary about like behind the scenes in Parliament House? And look, Parliament's quite a conservative place. It's an incredible building. But you're only allowed to take cameras into about 10% of it and you're only allowed to go as a member of the public into a, like a restricted mm. range of areas in the building. And there's so many things about the building that are like, it is almost entirely self-sufficient. It's like a it's like a mini city. They've got like carpenters, they've got a stonemason, they've got um, mechanics, they've got cooks, they've got laundries, they've got like, Even, like, the the, the underground of Parliament House, the basement, which is like a little metropolis down there, it's got 1,100 rooms underground, most of which no one who works above ground ever sees, but it's like the ticking – it's like the beating heart of the building. Now they've Um, got a full-time person checking politicians' citizenships. I know, exactly! (laughs) Oh, God.
1: Sorry, carry on. Um,
0: So it's quite an amazing building, even apart from the stuff that we know about, you know, and question time, and all the stuff that you see all the time. Um, so, uh, our request was: could you please uh, temporarily waive all of your all of your rules against photography in these restricted areas, and let us tootle about and you know talk to people and. After an extremely long and highly bureaucratic process, the answer was eventually yes. And mm. so, that's what we've been doing for like – we've probably been filming for about 10 months, um, which has involved lots of back and forth. And um, How many episodes is it? It's six episodes. So, it's going to air on August the 8th. Six um, half hours or hours. Six half hours, hour yeah. And it's called The House. Um, so, and it is um, – I think as someone who's worked inside Parliament House – it's like being in an artwork you know the design of the building is extraordinary and the people in there are, you know there's there's freaks there's just genuinely the most lovely people and none of that sort of ever really comes out in what you see on television from parliament like it's very one-dimensional so i really wanted to sort of have a crack at showing people what goes on in there because i just think well everybody pays for it you know yeah um and i also think i don't know maybe um it might just give a bit of context to some of the stuff that you you see also it's just hilarious i mean there's just (laughs) there's some very funny people and um who who work in there? So that's that's what we've been doing. But it's it's such an interesting discipline to make a documentary like that. I mean, we probably have five hundred hours of of sort of rushes, <laughs> and that all has to be sort of stitched into um, to the um, you know, three hours total screen time, Ugh. and and weaving, finding a way to get you as a viewer into all of these funny places, like the art vault, which is just we found these kind of old um, sort of Hidden portraits of um, uh, former prime ministers and governors general that were never released because their their subjects didn't like them, um, or you know, all of these sort of st- strange spaces underground. We went into we went into cabinet room and the prime minister's office and all of that. So. We're just trying to sort of take people and show them around for a bit of a sticky beak behind the scenes. And
1: now you're at the pointy end of it. (laughs) You're just spending hours every day locked in an edit suite.
0: Well, the worst thing is that there's so much gold, you know. And uh, you know me, I always love a bit of funny as well. Mm. So I love a bit of kook. Um, Mm. So, uh, and, you know, you just have to make sacrifices when you've got that much material. And I just find that really hard. Are you going to do
1: like a little extras thing? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. Um, can I, just before i got to run back downstairs to 7.30, um, share, Brenda um, oh. sent me this Twitter account that I absolutely love called, at WeTuberPlayers. Oh, God. Here we go. <laughs> Every sentence starts with WeTuberPlayers. <laughs> That's so funny. Is it directed we... at you? No, it's a, <laughs> it's a, just
0: a general thing. Because I would have, you know, the tuba community has got a lot to oh, defend itself from. I think they're going to get from, together. Yeah.
1: WeTuberPlayers enjoy family vacation. If we don't take our tubers, is the whole family really there? <laughs> We tuba players enjoy mocking the trumpets. We tuba players are very loving creatures. We're always around to give advice on who to hate or love in the band. We also give good hugs. (laughs) It's just full of this nonsense. It's very. you have actually jumped the rails now on this tuba thing. (laughs) People send me so much tuba. tuba There is so much tuba stuff on the. um, It's funny, isn't it? That of the two of
0: us, you are the
1: one that has
0: these sort of irrational (laughs) hatreds and weird things. Like you love wading into this, like. The attack on the wren,
1: for instance. I mean, totally unprovoked. (laughs) And then they become – I'm just worried that the in-jokes in this podcast are becoming so dense that anyone who came to listen as a new listener, you'd be like, what's with the tubers talk? What's with the bird talk? What's with the clanging? What's with – you know, there's a lot of in-jokes now.
0: When we went to Michaelia Cash's house to film Kitchen Cabinet, (laughs) her house is so full of cat paraphernalia because she's really interested in cats. And she's got three cats. Wow. And when we were interviewing her, she must have said about thirty times, Well, I don't have children, so I've got cats. And we probably included maybe two or three of the iterations of her saying that in the actual show that went to air. I'm like, all this like, you know, why do you have her talking about like children and cats the whole time? You just you, it's like you're you're trying to make her look crazy and I'm like, No she said it a million more times. I really I really cut down. What does she do with the cats when she has to go to Canberra? Well, her husband is there. Oh, I didn't realise um, she was married. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, right. <laughs> Just like, thought lady with three cats,
1: probably alone. <laughs> was that it? You are so catist. I love cats. My mother used to breed cats. I'm very much a cat person I'm rather joking. than a dog person.
0: Really? Persian cats. Did you ever get obsessed with that story about the… Um,
1: cat lady murder, yep. You're damn right I did, the one in Brisbane. I I
0: bought the book about the cat lady I thought
1: about writing a book about that. Well, you still can because the book that I read was terrible. Yeah. I think
0: the guy – It was one of those like great stories, totally like it was written so – Yeah. It was like you're murdering a good story as well as quite a talented cat. It, look, it, it
1: actually would have lent itself absolutely brilliantly to a documentary if you could if you could have got all the people to talk. And, in fact, I've still thought that you could do a great Podcast. documentary inside Podcast. the world of Podcast. competitive um yeah, podcasts. You'd want some visuals, wouldn't you? Probably because you want to see what the cats look like. But mm. inside the world of – there's a lot of pursuits like, you know, Susan Oline wrote The Orchid Thief about competitive yeah. orchid peeps. The cat people, I think, would be a new level. What
0: uh, – the problem with the cat documentary – is that like where? How would you come up with a meme that would work on the internet? Oh,
1: <laughs> grumpy cat. Is that what you're talking about?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes you're so strange. I'm oh, just sorry, God. <laughs> but um. Now that I've listened to Trace and I know that I'm always about a year behind these things, but now I just keep looking around going, would that make a good crime podcast? Would that yeah. make a good crime
1: podcast? It's like when we went to that Isabella Blow exhibition and this for the next three days. Is you hat? Every, Like hat? That's a hat. Definite That's a hat. hat. <laughs> like, everything looked like a hat. <laughs> right, I'm calling an end to this. That could be a hat. <laughs>